This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Thomas and Kim Bard, Lisa Roper Wicker, and Steve Bayshore. This is part two of our discussion of the Keystone Rose and Rye Distillation at George Washington's Mount Vernon Distillery. This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast is sponsored by Brewskits, handcrafted dog treats made from spent beer grains, oats, barley, and rye. No chemical preservatives, a great source of fiber, and packed with protein. Visit brewskits.com to see the full selection of treats for your dog and your cat. Receive 15% off your first order by typing in two important words, Fermented Adventure, at checkout. Cheers! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings, and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. Thomas and Kim Bard of the Bard Distillery. Welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. Great to now, see you. Well. Now, we met at George Washington's Mount Vernon Distillery for the Keystone Rose and Rye Distillation. We met on Sunday. Now, you're from Kentucky. Talk a little bit about, introduce people to the Bard Distillery that have not been to your distillery or are not familiar with it. Sure. Uh, Tom? All right. Uh, well, we're a little less than two years old, uh, so we're, we're fairly new. Opened up in December 2019, just in time for the pandemic to hit. So perfect timing, which is, you know, a story of, of our lives sometimes. Um, but so we're fairly new. We're over here in Muhlenberg County, Kentucky. Um, if anybody's ever heard of Muhlenberg, it's because of either music or coal. The Everly Brothers are from here. John Prine sang about it. And then uh, it was one of the biggest coal producers in the world at one time. So that's the, the claims to fame that this little area has. But uh, yeah, we're kind of out here by ourselves. But uh, thankfully, there's some distilleries within, you know, 30, 40 minutes of us. So we're not we're not Lone Rangers. That's the good thing. But um, yeah, we, uh, we've got a few products on the market, uh, which has been difficult during the pandemic, but uh, we've won some pretty good awards from uh, you know, all kinds of places, ACSA, uh, San Francisco, John Barleycorn, Ascot Awards uh, for some uh, new make whiskeys, some flavored whiskeys, and a, uh, a, a pretty good uh, old bourbon that we've been selling for a while. Um, so that's, that's kind of that's where we are and what we've been up to. Um, what else you want to know about us? <laughs> Well, for those that have not been to your area or have not been to your distillery like us, and we can't wait to come and visit, not just for the spirits that you're creating, but meeting the both of you, just great people. And you never know where the conversation is going to go, but there's such a wealth of knowledge that you have about the uh, bourbon world and the spirits industry that that in itself is a reason to go. But do you ship out of Kentucky? Can people get your spirits? Where can they find you if they're not in and around your distillery? Uh, we are distributed right now in New York, New Jersey, uh, Michigan, Arkansas, uh, all across Kentucky, in Alberta, Canada, and I believe, if not already, British Columbia. All right. So you you're international at this point. We are international. We're, we're, <laughs> we, are, we are jet setters. <laughs> Talk about how talk about this past weekend and your experience distilling the Rosen Rye and uh, working with all the great folks there. What was that like for you? Well, uh, I I don't even know if I can find words for it. Um, I met Steve a few years ago at the ACSA fly-in. We became fast friends. Uh, he and Lisa Wicker and I we kind of hung out the whole time, um, and he mentioned during that trip that he would, uh, he thought he would get along well with Tom from what he heard about it. Uh, so we got the invite uh, last year, actually, and we didn't get to go because of COVID or year before last. 
Um, but we, Tom and I have been absolutely waiting until the day that we could go and, and do some distilling with Steve, not only because we love Steve, but because the history of that site and uh, the way he does it authentically, um, the hard way. And, and if you don't believe that, go try it. It is absolutely a lot of manpower that goes into it. Um, but I, I, it's something I'll never forget. When you say it's hard, that was the first time we've been there with the stills running and everything else. And they're doing a 39 day, they're doing this over and over again for 39 days mm -hmm. and watching all the labor, it's labor intensive. It's yeah. very labor intensive, but you have to watch, you know, and again, not being familiar with the setup that you have at your distillery, but talk about the differences of what you just experienced to, you know, just those, the, the labor, the hard work that goes into it. Uh, what it reminded me of is what it was like when we first opened in 2019. <laughs> uh, our setup for being modern is remarkably similar to, uh, to what they have there. But even then, uh, nowhere near the backbreaking labor uh, that the George Washington uh, distillery requires. But, you know, we've got a small setup. We've got two 60-gallon stills right now, but we are quickly hoping to, to make bigger ones or to get bigger ones very soon. Um, and, and this kind of reinforced that idea by going up there because... <laughs> You know, we remember the, the days when we did everything by hand. We would use, use a paddle to stir our mash. Uh, we were using buckets to transfer things from one tank to another. We still do that in some instances. Um, but even then, uh, as, as, as very, um, very simplistic as our setup is, it's nowhere near like it was in the 1780s, uh, 1790s. Yeah, you're not you're not chopping your own wood or you're not stoking oh. your own fires. I mean, even seeing the way and the detail of just lighting the fire for the stills and there are five stills going at once mm -hmm. and and people rowing mash and i just can't imagine I, I i just always try to picture what that must have looked like in george washington's time he had a dedicated staff he had people that were there all the time to handle this um on 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 what he was doing at the at, at his at his distillery but for for you you know it's just that was so much bigger, wasn't it? Just a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, it, it was. Um, I, I knew there would be people there to help. Um, but and, and the people that were there were absolutely incredible. Uh, we had people from, from other distilleries there. We had people that worked there at Mount Vernon that wanted that want to get into the, uh, the distillation side of it with Steve. Um, and most of them work in other parts. So Steve has a knack for bringing people together that he knows will work together. And that's the number one thing, like you said, it's so labor intensive. You have to have a good team put together. Um, like the, the first day we were there, Stolen Wolf were there with us. And the first day we were kind of bumping into each other and not really sure where we should go, how to, how to pour in the hot water and then not burn each other on the way back. But the second day, it was like we'd been doing it for years. Mm -hmm. I would tell you, and you, we, we got there Sunday, you worked on Saturday everybody moving around, you wouldn't have known that there was a little bit of uncertainty that first day. Everything looked so smooth. It really did. And for Dawn and I, you know, we, we were just, we were grateful to be there as, you know, a way to record the history and just be part of that a little bit. But I was like, I just want to stay out of the way, but I, I always feel like I should be helping in some way. You know, how can I be a part of it? Because I, seeing people work hard like that and standing around isn't in my nature. And I think for you both, that's nowhere near your nature either. Right. Right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We, even uh, the, the day that we left, we had to get back for some other uh, uh, things we had to take care of. So we left on Tuesday, but we still stopped by just to say goodbye to everyone real quick. And it was all we could do not to start stoking fires and pouring water and and I did. Well, yes, you did a little bit. We couldn't, stand it. we couldn't stand being there and not doing it, even though we were exhausted. I mean, it was actually, I mean, uh, we slept like babies, you know, the last two nights since we got back to Kentucky. Uh, but yeah, that's the thing about it. When you have a group of people that, uh, you know, you spend the first day bumping into each other by the next day, you're a whole lot better. And that's just life. You know, you it, practice makes perfect and you keep getting better. And also when you have people who understand what the goal is, um, you know, whether you whether you use that particular system when you're doing a distillation or, you know, if you have the most sophisticated stuff in the world, 
if you still know what your end goal is, it doesn't take long to kind of figure out, you know, what needs to happen. So, uh, and like she said, Steve is, is, is a master at, at putting people together that make a good team. And uh, I think he showed that this weekend. Just one more thing I wanted to say. Um, Steve is very particular about the steps in the process. And, you know, most importantly, when you get there and he tells you something that he needs you to do and he trusts that you're going to do that. So following his direction is, is paramount to the, as Tom said, the end product. And I think he, that goes into some, I think his, his choice of who he chooses, not that he knows that we're not going to break the rules every once in a while, but, (laughs) you know, just being willing to, to let someone else guide you. We all know how to distill, but there's a certain way it has to be done at Mount Vernon in order to get that wonderful end product that he has. What I really sense from what even you're saying is this is really like pulling together an all-star team, but you need people that are going to fit into those specific areas that will mesh well. It's like you talked about, this is the collaborations you talked about the, this is something that you do quite often that from the public side of it, we don't see, we don't get to experience it, but this happens quite often in the industry, doesn't it? The collaboration side of things. It, it really does. I mean, just, you know, we just did the, uh, of course, the Good Guy Distillers uh, that got together on Facebook and decided to uh, start Good Deep Spirits. I mean, that collaboration was absolutely phenomenal with, you know, other distilleries sending barrels of their product and coming out with a, a single product that is, you know, hopefully changing lives very soon. Yeah. Are you familiar with the Good Deeds uh, Whiskey Project? This would be the first time I'm hearing about it. So thank wow. you for introducing me and the podcast listeners uh, for Fermented Adventure to that. Oh, great. Uh, so basically, uh, like she said, a few years ago, uh, a group of uh, craft distillers uh, started up a, a group on Facebook. It's a private group uh, called Good Guys Distilling. And it was basically, uh, again, we're all, we're all friends. We all get along. And sometimes those friends only get to see each other at conventions and you don't get to interact as often as you'd like because we're all working full time. So they created that uh, group to kind of get together, trade information, because uh, we've all been on forums trying to get information and you can't always trust what you're getting. Uh, but if you can actually speak directly to people that you know uh, and trust, then you can get information that you want. You can have great conversation, have a lot of fun. Um, so that's been going on a few years and we were humbled when they uh, allowed us to be a part of that over the last year or so. Um, and it's been very, very valuable to us to be a part of that, that little group. But they decided this year that they wanted to do even more. Uh, so with the American Craft Spirits Association, the ACSA, they started up a new initiative called uh, Start Up, or Step Up, I'm sorry, Step Up. Step up. Um, and the purpose of the Step Up initiative is to bring people that are minorities, that are uh, not normally seen in the distillation industry. Uh, and we basically want to get more of that involved. And it's, you know, it's part of the whole, all of the movements that you've seen over the last few years that has really made people you know, pay more attention to their surroundings and their environments and realize, wow, we we are leaving people out. We don't mean to, but we are. So what can we do to change that? Um, so what Good Deeds is doing is they had about, I think, 10 separate craft distillers donate their own juice, uh, sent them out to Butte, Montana, where they were blended. And then these master blenders, some of the best in the world that are part of the craft industry, uh, blended those different products together, made a fantastic uh, malt whiskey, and then uh, we didn't have any, any malt whiskey to contribute this time uh, to, to this particular brand. So Kim and I flew out to Butte just to help bottle and label, along with a, a few other distillers as well. Uh, just donating our time, donating resources, donating labor, trying to get this done. And the sale of these bottles, uh, hoping to raise, uh, I think on this, this batch, what, 75000 is the goal. Uh, and all of that money, 100% of the proceeds are going to the ACSA Step Up Program to help them with uh, uh, recruiting uh, people who want to be a part of, of the step up program. Um, and uh, yeah, here Kim's, I know you're not going to show video, but Kim's showing you the no, good right deeds, now. malt whiskey. That's here's, this is what excites me. And we met Steve at the American whiskey convention, Steve Bayshore. Mm-hmm. We became great friends with the distillery at George Washington's Mount. And, and the, the next steps are, meeting wonderfully great folks like you guys and learning about other things that are being done in the industry that now other people will know about it. So, you know, hopefully in part, we can help to also spread the word about the good deeds 
the malt whiskey that's being sold and the project that is being done and seeing that grow from where it is all that you guys are involved in a lot of stuff and you're also running a distillery. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and oh, by that. the way, I know you have other things you do on the side as well um, that, that you do that are passions. I, I'm curious because Dawn and I got to watch you work together. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just curious about just some of the thoughts that resonate from the day, uh, the experience of distilling, some of the things that ran through your mind, while while the whole process was going on one thing that kind of stands out to me uh first and foremost is i wish i had all those people in my distillery helping (laughs) (laughs) that was was just incredible to have everyone there and and everyone had a job and it was a very specific job and it was the people uh that got that job that steve chose carefully as we talked about earlier i mean there was someone chopping wood there was someone tending fires there was someone uh, making sure that the the water barrels didn't run over so um hiring very specifically that kind of I I thought about that a lot as we were distilling those few days and it kind of brought home to me Tom and I haven't hired uh, anyone except uh, one person yet to help us here and she doesn't do the distillation yet we're trying to talk into it (laughs) she will she doesn't know it yet she will but yeah just personnel and labor and how hard you need people to work in an industry like this and people on the outside that aren't in it you know, it's all glamour and, and glitz to them because they come to do a tour and they're on vacation. They have a great time. While we know how much work it go, goes into each and every bottle that goes onto the shelf. And and basically the same thing she just said is what was going through my head as well. Our uh, Kim and I, our background is, is NASCAR and uh, other uh, forms of motorsports. That's how she and I actually met. She was a, a driver in what was then the NASCAR Bush Series is now the Xfinity Series. And uh, I basically moved up through the ranks and was working with her with a, at a team and that's how she and I met. But uh, it, the whole the whole time we were there, uh, I was thinking the same thing she was, how the best teams that I've been a member of over the years, whether it was in management, whether it was on an assembly line, whether it was on a farm or whether it was on a race team, um, it's not that easy to put a team together that gels. Uh, it's very, very difficult. And you, if you want to see which ones are gelling, which ones aren't, just uh, watch a race and see who wins and who doesn't. Uh, and that kind of answers it for you. So uh, I was I was really amazed at how well uh, the team started working together. Uh, they all knew their role. They all knew uh, to look to Steve as our leader. Um, and uh, it, it was it was just wonderful. It, it like you said, you showed up on Sunday and it looked like a well oiled machine. And uh, that's because Steve whipped us in the shape the day before. That's it. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. No, and that's the, that's the thing. He didn't have to because, and uh, speaking to her point. <laughs> is if you get the right people to begin with, uh, it makes your job as a leader so much more easy uh, because you don't have to do, uh, uh, you don't have to do extra work. You just, you know, put them together, let them gel and off you go. So it reminded me of the best teams that I have been with and I've been with some pretty good ones over the years. So uh, it was just a lot of fun, backbreaking, uh, exhausting. I, I hurt muscles that I didn't know I had, uh, but, but I'd, I'd do it again tomorrow if, if I could. Yeah, and it doesn't end. It doesn't end when the, you know, when you guys left, what you didn't see was we were there till, I don't know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night cleaning those same stills because we had to start over again the next day. And when you talk about cleaning stills like that with, you know, live fire underneath and then all of the uh, getting all the mash out and getting them clean, it, it's just it just never ends. And I think what just to kind of give another picture of that process and you can talk more in detail because you had the experience but there's not a lot of light in that building once the sun goes down and that was the day that at least for us being there that was the day the daylight savings time ended so i'm sure by five o'clock you're dealing with not a lot of natural light the fires and the stills are now put out and you're trying to make sure you can see inside the pot stills to make sure they're clean and all the equipment's clean right Right. right. And it's very difficult because we don't just turn on these giant overhead, you know, high bay LEDs in there. Uh, I mean, there is some some modern lighting, but it's used very sparingly. It's only for, you know, mainly for emergencies. Uh, but we did feel like we were cheating when we would get our little pocket flashlights out right. and, and in there. <laughs> <For our phones. laughs> but, but the thing is, you know, now we know enough about how all this works that I'm thinking, OK, we're, we're sticking our head down in a still. Let's not stick a torch in there, which is probably what they did back in the day to see. Um, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. They're, they, they're trying to really keep it authentic to the time. Uh, but as a result, even though you're, you're amazed by 
the the sophistication of what they did have back 200 over 200 years ago um you're still brought back to reality very quickly when you realize just how much we take for granted when it comes to just as simple a thing as lighting and electricity one of the things that i'm thinking about that resonated with me just by what you were saying tom is that you know you're bringing your experience to the whole team and the collaboration but this is still a facility a building meant for history and education right and you're walking away and you you learned a lot of stuff and and you probably learned some stuff about yourselves didn't you oh certainly absolutely and one thing that uh it goes along with, with what we were talking about earlier. Every time we get together with other distillers, whether they've been doing it for a month or if they've been doing it for 50 years, uh, more often than not, everybody in the room, if they walk in with an open mind, which uh, most of the people that we know do, you all walk out of there going, wow, they said something that, that I picked up on, that I learned. Uh, so you're always learning things and you don't really, you know, it's not so much a questioning, it's just a, a, an interest in wanting to know why do you do it that way? So there were lots of things that they did that were almost identical to what we do here with our little setup. But then there's a few things they did that, you know, we suddenly go, hey, that's different. Uh, you know, why are you doing that? And they're happy to tell you. And suddenly your brain just starts firing on all cylinders trying to say, is that something I need to think about? Should I do it that way? Uh, so, yeah, you learn a lot. And as far as, you know, about ourselves, yeah, you just learn that, um, A, to appreciate what we do have, because we're always, you know, by the end of the day, we're sore, we're tired, we're complaining about how simple and, and uh, archaic our stills are here. I don't. Well, she doesn't. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not, oh, yeah, that's the thing. Not anymore. Now we look at it and go, man, these are wonderful. I want to go hug them. Um, <laughs> that's the next picture on social media. You hugging your stills just, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll do it too. Yeah. The, the old adage, keep it simple, stupid, you know, yeah. is, is true. Mm -hmm. I thought about that so many times as we were, we were working this past week. Um, simplistic is sometimes gives you the best opportunity to get something exactly right. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. While we're talking now, mm -hmm. they're probably finishing up the distillation for the day and they're getting ready to clean that stuff out again. So you almost have this, um, this symbiotic, you, you had this connection of an experience with people now that, that you're, you guys are connected together for life, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we made friends that we'll, we'll have for the rest of our lives just this last weekend, and uh, we barely know anything about each other, but you just you just know, you know real quick. We, we did hear some stories um, from Eric Wolf, by the way, that, um, that brought us closer together in so many ways, and Eric will be laughing when he hears this. <laughs> and then I did get a, a, a nice, fuzzy little email from Jim Wolf, who, um, if you know Jim Wolf, you'll probably think he doesn't send fuzzy emails, but he sent me one. I thought it was. Oh, nice. that's nice. That's nice. I'm sure, I'm sure he appreciate what was fuzzy about it. I can hear it now. <laughs> One of the things that I can tell you that we, we met on Sunday, we're here talking today for Dawn and I, and this is our fermented adventure. We can't wait to come out and visit you at your distillery and try the spirits that you're producing. And who knows, um, see just um, all the, you know, see the future as to what that holds for you guys and, and all new experiences together. I, I'm grateful for your time today. Um, and, and I can't wait to see you again. Just, just for us, again, the people we get to meet, the friends we get to make, uh, the experiences we get to have are just mind-blowing for us. And there are images of the day that I'll always remember seeing you guys. We have a, a video that we put together on our social media site of, of Tom, of you pushing the barrel out from the uh, the still and uh, just just seeing you guys around the, the still and the discussions just that's that's the memories that we're going to take and I, I just want to thank you for your time today. You're welcome. We look forward to having you here anytime. Open invitation. And yeah, we sooner sooner rather than later, right? <laughs> come on, come on down. We'll be here except except when uh, places like George Washington Distillery calls you up. We're usually here all the time. That's awesome. That's a great. Hey, if they call you, you're there, right? That's right. Yes. You got it. We go back in a heartbeat. Lisa Roper Wicker, Widow Jane, head distiller and president. Welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast. We're so grateful to have you here today. I am grateful to be here. Thank you, Rich. Very I am much. so excited to talk to you. Just in the background, yeah. <laughs> oh, you got whiskey there. You got all kinds of things going on. Yes, absolutely. It's Widow Jane. We've always got something going on. Every, every five minutes is something new. <laughs> well, we can talk 
all day about what's new with Widow Jane, what's old with Widow Jane, all the things that are just in your head or your team's head. But we're going to talk about the Keystone Rose and Rye distillation down at George Washington's Mount Vernon. We were there at this point over a week and a half ago. And you were there and it's like everybody that I engaged with who had a question or we talked, everybody went back to you. It was, you, you have such a presence and people respect you so much. And as an authority there, two things, what does George Washington's Mount Vernon distillery mean to you? And where do you see your place there? Because you're referenced so much at the distillery. Um, I've had just, I mean, the most remarkable good fortune. Um, you know, I started there because um, I was distilling for Ted Huber at Starlight Distillery in Southern Indiana, and Ted had been instrumental in some of the early um, distillations there. I'll try to make this fast. Um, and I, a whole long story, and um, I got invited, Steve Bayshore um, invited me out because the person that I was giving a tour to, and they, they worked in the distillery at the time, and he's like, we really need your help. We like you to come out. I'll see if Steve, you know, agrees to this. And so I did. And um, that was almost six years ago, it'll be six years ago in March. And, um, you know, I was able to help the program. Um, you know, I came up through the trenches, right? And so I know a lot about cleaning, <laughs> cleaning and protocol. And I, you know, I've had the good fortune to work in a lots of different distilleries and everybody does everything a little bit differently. So you always can vet, you know, whatever the best, the best method is. Right. And so um, early on, I did uh, fermented and wood uh, barrels at limestone branch. And so I was able to come help diagnose some issues that they were having because I'd already been through that and had some experience with that. And so, yeah. And ever since, you know, Steve and team have been ridiculously, amazingly generous with me and, um, I've been able to, you know, have some influence on the program and um, they let me, you know, write the first bourbon mash bill there because we had some bourbon a little while ago. And um, yeah, you know, so it's been remarkable. We have some great stories from some crazy stuff, but the place means so much. It's so um, when I've spoken on the place before, it's like so elemental, you, you know, it's grain, it's water, it's fire. Um, copper, you know, it's as elemental as you can get. And, um, it, you know, it's always remarkable that, um, you know, everything comes together and works and makes some really terrific whiskey. But yeah, the place, the people, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, I definitely have a soft spot for Mount Vernon and, and what it's done for my career. I mean, quite frankly, you know, Steve was able to get me, I, you know, used to always run in the background. Well, we just discussed that a little bit, you know, about being in the background on that Sunday, but, um, you know, Steve's been able to get me some, you know, some, um, attention here and there, and it certainly did not hurt my career by any means. And, um, yeah, but it's a remarkable project. I look forward to seeing everyone. And now that we can hug again and, you know, and, and be able to talk and catch up, um, you know, those, those, some of those team members I've known close to six years now. What I find so fascinating is the legacy that, you've reflected on to George Washington's Mount Vernon. You touched on it a little bit, but a lot of the protocols that are there even still today are things that you brought based on your experience to the distillery. Yeah. Like I said, I've had ridiculously good fortune. You know, uh, my mentor is Dave Sherrick. Dave is the gentleman that put Woodford Reserve back together. Um, you know, so I've always had him to bounce things off, even if it's uh, something that he's not done in particular, he knows everything about whiskey, right? So, you know, we can talk about it and sort it out. And um, the wonderful thing now is most of our phone calls about like what's going on with his projects and what's what's going on with my projects. Um, but yeah, I've had, you know, like I said, I've been very lucky that people have been generous with their time. And, um, you know, I'm definitely um, self-educated on a lot of things, you know, I've, read and read and read and still do that to this day. And there's so much to learn in this industry. You can't know it all by any means. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I, like I said, it's been good, good practical experience and, you know, some of it's, you know, a little bit instinctive and I don't know why that is, but um, it has been. But. I, I sense that about you and I love just the humility and the recognition of the people that have been part of your career to this point who helped you get to where you were. But the one thing that resonates, even just in our brief conversation, is you're like a firefly because you create your own brightness and 
you were like, oh, I just want to work in the background. But what I think happens is people just recognize you and see you for your energy, for your knowledge, for your integrity, for your focus on what's happening. I just being where we were for Dawn and I to watch everything going on that specific day at doing the the mash and the distillation. And like I said, everybody kept coming back to you and saying, is this okay? Are we doing this right? How's this looking? How are we working out? I, I found it was just so exciting to watch. You and I met for the first time. We met at the Stolen Wolf Rosenrye distillation. And do you feel that there's a connection for you to the Rosen, to the whole experience for, for all that's going on? Oh, certainly. I mean, you know, the relationships are everything. And I learned so much from everyone else. So, you you know, you talk about people coming to me, but when they come to me, you know, I want to know what's going on in their heads as well, because, you know, it's it's collective experience. It's an opportunity for me to learn something a little bit different. Um, being able to be at Stolen Wolf the day that they distilled that with um, Dick Stoll and Eric and his family. Um, yeah, you know, it was one of the best days of my distilling career, right? You know, for certain. But um, yeah, you know, we all missed Dick, right? And um, his wife, Elaine, you know, it, it's a small world sort of thing. And so Elaine and I are talking and her cousin used to work with my mother, you know, back in Indiana. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you know, so those, those are instant connections, right? And um, and those relationships. And then Lara, you know, Lara, she's just, she's just amazing, right? And she's so dedicated to bringing the, that rye back. Um, and being sure that it's protected and, um, you know, fiercely Pennsylvania in the best way. And yeah, it's the whole project's just remarkable. You know, it's, it's amazing. You reference Eric and his family and Dick and Laura Fields. And it seems like we, it seems like to me, the people that have come together were supposed to come together. Oh, yeah. And we're all weird. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I you think everybody was supposed to play a part, you know? Yeah, you know, you get in there with Steve Bayshore and Lara, and then, you know, Corey, who works at Mount Vernon, and, you know, you got all these millers and distillers, and yeah, it gets, you know, it gets, it, it, it gets just get, it gets weirder and weirder in the, the very best way, right? Because everybody's got a little bit more information than they had the last time we all met. Um, you know, I was able to go to Pennsylvania when they uh, were milling some of the, you know, the rye for um, Stolen Wolf, right? So we got together with a bunch of just, you know, Millers, right? And so, you know, it was Steve and Lara and Eric and, and Jim and, the, you know, the whole crew there as well, right? And um, yeah, it's, it, these projects are amazing, especially when you can, you know, you're lucky enough to be invited through the whole process. Thinking back to that specific day, reflect on the day thoughts that maybe you had or just some of the things that kind of came to your mind is it was a long day and it was a very hard day. Um, just so much going on. Thankfully the weather was warmer. Um, even with all the fires going, it was actually pleasant to be in the distillery, but think about that day and just some of the thoughts you had. Oh, um, it always feels like I'm coming home. You know, I, when I get back there and pull into the parking lot and walk down the sidewalk and walk into the, you know, walk across the, the threshold of the distillery um, and see familiar faces and familiar smells and the familiar sounds and um, the wood chopping going on. And, um, you know, Eric tending, you know, the stills that he, he's always down on the same, same end. He's down with Elizabeth and um, the stills all have names, by the way. Too. I know um, they're all named yeah, after Queens, I, I believe. I mean, he's with Elizabeth is still not, you know, not a person named Elizabeth. And, um, you know, Megan, who's overseeing some of the, um, you know, the fermentations and, um, you know, managing those beautifully right now. So, yeah, it certainly feels like, like I said, coming home and, um, with Tom and Kim Bard there. I hadn't seen them since before COVID. And, um, and same with, you know, Eric and Jim. And um, I have seen Steve a couple of times. I've seen Laura a couple of times, American Whiskey Convention. Um, yeah, we didn't cross. I, I, we were all over the place. And I, I'm sorry we missed each other oh, at that event. It was it's such a spectacular venue. But there was that definitely that where you got to the end of the night, like, I didn't see so-and-so. And I didn't see so-and-so. And I didn't see so-and-so, right? Because But it was a Laura sure can find the venues. I mean, they, 
every year it's something more remarkable than the last time. But yeah, it's, you know, for me, it's a, the familiarity plus the fact that there's always something a little bit different, you know, tasting this rye as opposed to the rye that, you know, we've been using and um, tasting the rye mash and everything's so clean and well fermented right these days that, you know, one thing you want to always do as a consultant is work yourself out of a job, but I don't want to work myself out of this job, but they don't really need me there anymore. <laughs> you know what you say that, but I, I think that it wouldn't be the same as everybody that gets together without you there. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd like to be there more, you know, <laughs> I am there about two times. I'm actually getting ready to leave for there. I'll be there for the next few days. I'll leave here um, tomorrow afternoon and then I'll be there. Um, um through Tuesday before I leave for Kentucky um, for Thanksgiving. But, and that's been a routine. I've been there things with exception of the COVID year. I've been there, you know, Thanksgiving week now for five years. So you'll be there for the distillation of the Rosen with the bloody butcher. And then you'll be there with the Rosen with the orange Creole. Yes, correct. So you'll be there for the two different distillations. Well, quite frankly, I have to look at the calendar because I think it might be doubling and I haven't really looked at the calendar. So okay. be there for the doubling um, but, um, towards the end. Okay. Um, so this has come up and I didn't ask Steve and I was there to watch. When you say doubling, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, what does that really mean? Uh, that means that the whiskey takes two passes. So the first run that you were there um, was a stripping run. So literally we're just stripping as much alcohol out of it as we possibly can, high quality alcohol. So tend to take a little bit shorter head cut, um, a little bit longer tail cut. And then the second time the distillate is, um, um, has water added to it. So it's not too high proof and put back into the still and then run a second time. And that's the that's second run is where you're really finessing the whiskey and making sure that it's clean and you've taken in great, great cuts and you know, monitoring it closely. And with a change in grain, even though it's rye to rye, it's a different type of rye. And so you're having to reestablish in your brain, you know, what you're tasting and smelling as, as opposed to the last time. And so after so many runs of um, the other rye whiskey, it did take my, you know, it took me, I was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, oh, right, this is different grain. So, you know, I'm having to get my head around where we need to, um, you know, take those initial head cuts and um, you know, where we're going to let it run, where we're going to stop at the tails and let it run some more in the tails. Um, but it's not, that's part, part of the fun of it is, you know, trying to figure it out, you know, it's like, Oh, I missed the, missed the mark on that first one. So now this is what we're going to do on this next one. That is interesting to me because you're almost switching palettes. You're almost switching mindsets from the things that you do to, to do day to day. And to me, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a whole different concept, but you don't, if we're standing on the sidelines, we don't see that, but that's exactly what's going on with you. Yeah. And, you know, it was interesting because Laura had asked me, she's like, what do you think, you know, compared to the stolen wolf, you know, running the same riot stolen wolf. And I said, it's, it's just as sweet. Right. It was because they were also running on a column, you know, so it's interesting to see what translated. Um, I'm more, even more curious about what the finished runs are going to be because I was not there for the finished runs initially. So when I get there Saturday, I'll, you know, taste through all that distillate and see what's happening. That's such a horrible job. That's such a horrible thing you have to endure. <laughs> I am very grateful for your time. I'm so appreciative of you sharing your knowledge and experience about the Rose and Rye distillation. I can't wait. I mean, now it's just, you're doing all the hard work. Now it's just waiting for it to, I know they're probably going to share some of the white spirit, the white dog, but then it goes in the barrel and then we just have to be patient and wait. And I'm sure there'll be some sort of um, process that you'll be involved in. I, it's like everything else. I mean, at Widow Jane, you put all this stuff in the barrel and you taste it along the way, and then you just can't wait to see what the end result's going to be, right? Uh yeah, they're all you're, they're all like your children, right? You know, it's like you take care of them and hope for the best. And yeah, yeah. But to you, you've got a bunch of orphan children out there too that you have you're you're having accountable uh, you know adventures with too. You know, absolutely. absolutely. That's a good situation. Lisa Roper Wicker, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And we look forward to not only all the great things that are going on at George Washington's Mount Vernon, but everything, all the fabulous stuff that's happened at Widow Jane. Yeah. Thank you so much, Rich. And thank you, Don, wherever you are. There. She's she's planning more <laughs> fermented adventures. That's what she's doing. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Steve Bayshore, George Washington's Mount Vernon Distillery. We are 
having our, I guess for, for me, it's the kind of wrap up call to everything that took place at the distillery when you had everybody there for the Keystone Rose and Rye distillation. So I'm, I'm excited to talk to you, but you're not through the, just because we left, this is still going on for you. How many days are you into this distillation and welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's good to see you again, man. And talk with you. Uh, yeah, we're, we're into it about 20, almost 12, lose track of time, about 17 days, I guess of distilling. We did take a break this Sunday that you and I are talking just to give everybody a rest, but the weekend last weekend was very, very busy as you were there. And, and the project's very unique uh, with the, the Rosen Rye and the two other heirloom corns. So I, I think uh, it's going real well. Um, you know, when we were able to bring other distillers in like we did last weekend, it's a special thing for us too. They really enjoy it. But for us, we always learn from people uh, that have expertise. And I love introducing the site to distillers who've never worked in that manner before uh, with that type of equipment that we have in there, which is pretty basic. There are so many things, and you just said so many things that so many places I want to go, but you said, number one, 17 days into how many full days of distillation? Uh, well, we'll go until the 23rd of November. Okay. So next Tuesday, we'll take a break and have a Thanksgiving well-deserved. Then we have to come back and believe it or not, uh, bottle some other product for retail that we're behind on. And then we'll jump back into the final finish runs and be done hopefully by the 15th of December. And this is so, all, the, the work that you're doing is all really focusing on the Keystone Rose and Rye, but you talked about the two heirloom corns. So one of the runs include the Bloody Butcher and one of them include the orange... Creole. The orange Creole. Now you're doing those two separately through the process. Is that about what you're doing right now? Yeah, we just wrapped up uh, fermenter through fermenter 21 was orange Creole with the rose and rye. And then the other day we, we set the first three with the bloody butcher and the rose and rye. So tomorrow, which will be Monday, November 15th, the, the, the fermenters with the, the first bit of bloody butcher will go to the still. So I'm going to segregate those in different collection vessels so that about two weeks from now we can taste those after they've been doubled and determine is there a variation uh, that much that we can distinctively identify? And if so, perhaps we barrel each little batch separately, or maybe we co-mingle if it's all pretty close because I uh, just don't know yet. I think this is the fun part about you get a lot. A lot of that you do is fun. So, I mean, a lot of it's work. I watched I being there and seeing how hard you and your team and all the other distillers worked was so, I mean, everything is hands-on and the flow and uh, Kim and Tom Bard, we spoke about this, that it appeared to us that it was a very well orchestrated event. They talked about the day prior, you kind of gave them a good game plan and run through of what they can expect. So the first day, which was, I guess, Saturday, it was kind of for them getting their feet into the motion. But a lot of people that I got to speak to, Steve, really talked about how you made it very easy by putting people in the places that they needed to be, almost as if you knew exactly who you wanted to have work together on that same day. Yeah, I had given it a lot of thought. You know, I had given it a lot of thought because uh, on various levels, the personalities, Kim and Tom are fantastic people. Uh, you know, Lisa Wicker's a, a fantastic person, an incredible distiller that works with us as our consultant. And uh, and then Eric and, and Wolf and his dad, Jim, are just, you know, I've been up there to their place at Lidditz and I know their work ethic. So I wasn't worried about any of that. It was like trying to give them a rundown of how the morning goes, how we charge the stills, what the fires need to be set like. So they had a good baseline and what to expect on time the still would run, you know, helping with heads cuts the issues with water flow through the building, I warned them about because that's sometimes a problem. So I felt like they were prepped Saturday and then Sunday, knowing it would be busy with you there and other press there, wanted them to be well-versed. And, and I think that the other thing in the building over the years, we've done different types of distillations with different distillers. 
both from small craft companies and from some of the large companies is the sense of camaraderie among distilleries just distillers just comes through so i knew that would happen because they're so jazzed to be in there working this way uh but i think having a little bit of a game plan was helpful to them and then being smart people they take to the work real quickly and if they have questions they ask that they're always good about you know where where should I put this particular cut or where are we going to the next drum or what about the fire? And I, and I don't mind coming up and if I notice something with the fire or the water, I'll, I'll mention it knowing they just want to do it right. They, they don't, you know, look at it as uh, anything other than let's all get it right. Yeah. I, I think that really was the air of the day that everybody, the out, the final product was something that it's going to be that proud pride item for them that they want to make sure that, and a lot of it was like, we don't want to let Steve down. How do you feel when you get this team that they don't want to let you down, but there's a bigger purpose for everybody there. Well, I'm usually working at looking at it as the bigger purpose, what we're trying to achieve rather than, you know, them, uh, let me down because I, I know they wouldn't. I mean, all these people are professionals and some, as you know, with Kim and Tom have had incredible careers and other pretty high level competitive uh, endeavors. And then the Wolves are pros and Lisa's the super pro on, on everything she does. So I knew we had the right group of people along with my staff. Your staff, so, by the way, name the people that were there for your staff. Cause I, I think that you see them and we've taken video and pictures but we, we don't necessarily know all of them by name. Yeah, they, I'd have to look through the, the schedule for the Saturday. Log, the log to see who was there on, yeah. the, on the weekend. But, yeah, but, you know, you've got Corey, uh, Corey Welshans, who was there Saturday. You weren't there, but he's my head miller. And he, he, he's grinding most of the grain for this run, and he runs stills as well. Eric Barton is a taller gentleman with gray hair. He's been with me for many years, and Eric runs stills very well. Uh, again, uh, I think we had several of the ladies on my staff there that have gotten real experienced at running stills. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, Sarah is a new staff member who's really been a go-getter. She worked the weekend and, and worked through the, the last few days. Um, but yeah, any of the footage you might have or anything, I'll have to look through the schedule. Cause okay. I see who was there. It. Yeah. I was, it's a little bit of a blur when there's this many days in a row, but I can say the historic trades staff who, who give all the tours at the site and do so much to bring a visitor experience to all those who come are hardworking people who really can run that building. So, you know, they, they do a wonderful job and, you know, it's, as you saw, it's a team effort. I mean, to run five wood fired stills and to mash, uh, you know, I thought maybe just brought up Tyler Smith, the tall guy that works with me. You saw Tyler in there, I think Sunday, he does everything well. Uh, so without all of them working together, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. happen. It yeah, doesn't happen. It, it really gives you an appreciation more so than the first time we were at the distillery. I mean, the, the, the value of seeing this in person and how it all mechanically works is just so overwhelming. But to see how everybody really has a, a, a job and there's a sequence to everything that they do. Th that was just so much fun to watch. It really was. Well, it might seem like sometimes organized chaos a little bit, but there is a sequence that happens every every day, you know, from the morning when we get there and check the fermenters and then bucket to the stills and then the fires get lit in turn. And then we we don't have agitators in the stills, as you know, so we, we paddle those and get that mixed up good. And then we cap the stills, connect the line arm to the, condenser and then we got to get the water flow from the mill race coming down from the grist mill so we have cooling water and then we move into the run which is you know waiting for them to come online heads cuts and then start collecting it's weird but one of the hardest things that may not realize to some people is those two collect because it's small collections off those pots and you have mm -hmm. to carry those to the table i don't know how many steps those people walk in a day but you know uh, it's a lot and then the other part of days like when you were there is once we get rolling, we also set three fermentations. So it always seems to happen that you're setting a fermenter when the heads come online, you got to run back and forth and juggle a bit. Um, but 
those days are the hardest when you're setting mash and running all five. And with all those people there, it was really one of the things that really oh, I overheard a few people talk about was just making sure there's a measure of safety. Because yeah. if you're walking, as you said, with one of those buckets over from with distillate to the barrel, we got open flames and making sure that, you know, people were aware that people were crossing and, and this way and that way. It's something that in a lot of ways, many of these other distilleries don't have to deal with at all. But this is the method that you have to you had an open flame there. You can't miss it. It's there. So you, you need to be even extra cautious while still focusing on the job at hand. Yeah, it's true. And, 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 you know, and we doubled on, uh, just two, two days ago. And that's even, it's always important safety, but when you're doubling and high, real high proofs coming off the still, it, it exponentially gets more so. Now when so you the say doubling, day, you were putting the old heads back into the, not, not the heads. We were running the fur, the low wine the, okay. we did over the weekend when you were there. So that goes into temporary tanks. And then what we did uh, is uh, charge all five stills as uh, as doublers and ran them the other day because otherwise with our limited space, we need to double every so many days, usually every five days. Otherwise we run out of room for, for storage drums. And so gotcha. we did a lot of moving of spirit around, but when it's coming off at 155 or 148, you know, it, it, it's uh, another element altogether. So, uh, but there's also the issues of, you know, we have wet floors occasionally, you know, things get spilled. So everybody that works in there is aware of that. We've had, you know, discussions of safety all through. And uh, again, uh, mentioned Lisa's work with us. Lisa Wicker is, uh, is really a stalwart on proper safety in the distillery. And she's taught us a lot in the last several years to make sure we're taking care of everybody. Now you're going to have, and you touched on this, you'll have one that you have with the Red Creole and one with the Bloody Butcher. And what's really going to be a lot of, uh, I think it's going to be so interesting for you to say, all right, either these stay on their own and they barrel age on their own. They barrel age and then you blend them, you release these. So I, my, my thought process is what's the total expectation or the hope when, when everything goes in the barrel for release? How many barrels are you looking to have by the time you're done? What's what you know? Have you thought about how many bottles you were looking to get out of everything? And and what's the what what can the consumer look forward to down the line? And I realize that's a bunch of questions in one. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Again, the orange Creole with the Rosen was we've set about 21 fermenters like that, and we're going to set a, a few less of with the Bloody Butcher, but. It's going to be the determination will be flavor. We'll just see what we think once we have the two tanks or two, several tanks of each, and then we'll make the call. It could be that they're so close that we just, you know, blend them all right there and they become part of the same lot of whiskey. Um, I was thinking today and yesterday about it. Uh, it's highly likely, which I think is interesting, that we may release a certain small number of bottles of this as unaged. I think it would be real distinctive to taste it as an unaged spirit with those grains, cause you get all the grain, you're not going to get any barrel influence on it. And we'll know more about how many bottles we might have or barrels we'll fill. Cause we still got a ways to go. And um, I hope I can fill, I hope I can fill six or seven or eight barrels and still have a little bit left over to maybe bottle a few hundred uh, unaged. And maybe we can get that released pretty quick. Cause, uh, I think it would be quite interesting. You know, at first I, I had thought, well, all of it's going to go to barrels. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, why not release some of it as an unaged ride? Not a, not a huge amount, but a very limited release of bottles and let people really taste these heirloom grains as they are. And so I'm hopeful we can do both of those things. Is there a perception right now as to what proof it's going to be released at either unaged or barreled? The proof, if it's unaged, will probably be 86. Um, on the barrels, we have, we'll have some time because we're redesigning some of our labels right now. Okay. And so my hope is to be able to have the ability to write in proof rather than have it printed on the label. And so we have to get those amended. And that way it gives us a lot more flexibility if we think a spirit's going to do better at 90 or, or, you know, with the age spirit, maybe have it a little higher 
uh, as it regards uh, how we might filter it is helpful. Um, so soon we'll have those done and that way we have flexibility. Talk about the barrels that have been selected for this particular run. Well, we, we usually, we always work with Kelvin Cooperage, which has uh, been, we've been buying barrels from Kelvin since we started. They're really great people. They make great barrels. So we certainly have some Kelvin that are coming. We also have uh, a Virginia Cooperage, which is called Speyside, which I believe they are affiliated with Speyside in Scotland. And I've met uh, one of their reps who's a great guy. And, and uh, we're going to get one or two barrels from him. Uh, I think it's kind of neat to do a little bit in, in Virginia Cooperage. And then um, I believe I mentioned this to you, but uh, three years ago, a an oak tree, a white oak tree that was uh, planted by Washington. So it was around during Washington's lifetime. It fell in a storm down in one of the behind the scenes areas at Mount Vernon down our service road. And we were able to get some sections of that from horticulture. And my friend in traditional Cooper Marshall Sheets is coopering them as we speak into small barrels because the tree had a lot of twists in it. We couldn't get big barrels, but he and I are going out to Kelvin Cooperage in early December and they're going to toast and char those for us. And Marshall will put the heads in and build the barrel right off after toasting and charring. And some of this whiskey is going to go in those GW, um, you know, material trees. So that's going to be fascinating. And uh, that, that is overwhelming. I'm like, I got the hairs on the back of my neck standing up that, even now, George Washington's legacy will have another level to move forward with. You're using this tree in the replica of the distillery on the property. I mean, there's so much going on as far as even the you're still recording history and you're still part of history. This is history in the making. Yes. Yeah, that's one of the neatest things about the site is that you know, every day people that tour Mount Vernon and tour of the Grismill Distillery, learn about the history of what went on in the 1790s. And prior to that, learned, learned about everybody who lived and worked there, learned about the enslaved men that worked in the distillery, learned about the paid staff that also worked there. But, but then now we're recreating this in this reconstructed building and we're able to create really good spirits and bring the story forward a bit. And then occasionally something like this happens where this tree just happened to fall. You know, it's a 240 year old white oak and and luckily, our horticulture uh, director, Dean Norton, who's been at Mount Vernon for 51 years, he's an incredible guy. He was very kind and said, yeah, I can let you have a couple sections of this. And so it'll be one of those things Mount Vernon does very well every so many years, is whether it's you know, other departments that also do interesting things. We're able to bring some unique experience back in a very tactile way. And um, that's another aspect of George Washington Distillery over these dec the last decade and a half. And you could even go further to the early distillations that were done outside that the Distilled Spirits Council helped pull, pull together when they were doing fundraising for, you know, people like Jimmy Russell and Mike Sherman of Vendome and, uh, you know, Dave Pickrell and Joe Dangler, who made Virginia Gentlemen for many decades, um, and others, you know, made whiskey on site. So, this last weekend you were at is kind of one of those sort of weekends where, where people of like mind and lovers of history and distilling come together to create whiskey and again, retell the story and create a new story. Uh, this is, I've been at Mount Vernon 14 and a half years and I've seen these sort of things come together. I feel like I'm in a unique position to have witnessed all of that, except for the very early stuff outside when I was working at another uh, historic site. But since 2007, a lot of these interesting things happen there and where like-minded people come together and, and, and everybody loves what's going on in the building. They have expertise and, and product gets turned out that has a special nuance to it. You know, I think in 2017, when we had the 10th anniversary of the distillery's reconstruction and we had Dave Pickrell there, Fred No there. Um, we had people from a variety of craft distilleries. We had Ted Huber there from Starlight Distillery, who's been a great friend of our program for a long, long time. And uh, Lisa Wicker, of course, was there for that one, too. So uh, that's one of my favorite parts of my job is when it's a lot of work, a lot going on, like you saw. But these create new historical moments. You started down the road a little bit, Steve. But talk about what this Rose and Rye project means to you. Well, I think uh, what's really neat is I learned about this just a few years ago when I met 
Laura Fields at the Delaware Valley, Valley Foundation that she formed. And she loves whiskey and she loves history and she uh, loves heirloom grains. And so she's the one who brought this grain back. And, and she worked with uh, Bob McDonald, the farmer there that's in Eimler, PA, who has a beautiful farm with 700 acres. And, and so that's when I first learned of the little bit of the story, because we would always go attend the American Whiskey Convention the last several years. And she's asked us several years ago. It's a great event. It's growing and growing over the years. So having learned about that, then what was it, 2018 when they first ran it? Is uh, at Lit it said Stolen Wolf? 2019. 2019. Yeah, so, yeah, so I knew about the grain from Laura and she she and I had talked grain before. And and of course, uh over the years working with Lisa Wicker, she's distilled a lot of heirloom grain. So that's where I also got some understanding of it. Uh and then the distillation happened with Dick Stoll and Eric Wolf and Jim Wolf and at Stoll and Wolf Distillery in Lidditz. And I was fortunate enough to be up there for the day. And and uh, that's where it really kind of planted those memories in my mind. And then just the last end of the summer, early September, I was talking to Laura Fields and she, and she just floated it out there. She goes, would you ever want to run Rose and Rye? I said I'd love to if you'd let us, you know, because it's a Pennsylvania grain, right? And so that's how that that conversation happened. And I said I would love that because we did heirloom in March with some other grains out of South Carolina, and uh, and also a, a bare barley out of Washington State. So this kind of came together quick, man. It was like uh, we knew we were going to make rye. I had my other grains lined up from Virginia Farm, and then she said, "Let's, I'll let you have some." And and so I went for it and. And that all came together with what you witnessed last weekend with the other partners that I, you know, wanted to bring down here for a while anyway. When you saw the grains getting delivered, what were some of your thoughts there? Because unlike other places, you're actually going to mill that grain. So what were your thoughts when you started to see that grain getting delivered when I guess Bob McDonald brought his truck down? <laughs> No, actually, actually, the person you're talking to right now drove a big truck to Pennsylvania. Oh, really? See, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing Bob on the road with Sherry there, and they're driving down, and they're, they're delivering yeah. it to you. But you went up and picked it up. Yeah, I went up with a big box truck and went up to Eimler and to Dancing Star Farms and pulled into his farm and, you know, down the narrow, muddy road between the barns and went up around back, and they were all working on a corn conveyor. And got the little little short tour of all the equipment with him, and and saw the grains, and saw the corn shellers, and saw saw where he he dries the corn and other grains. A beautiful place, and he owns most of this valley, which is really great for these heirlooms to grow in. And then we pulled back. I did a you know got my truck in the right position, and he loaded me up with. A, I got eleven thousand pounds of grain. Some of it we're going to hold. You know we have more than we need. We always get extra. But some of it we're going to mill through the mill also for food grade product for sale at our, our retail shops. But me and uh, a couple other guys unloaded 11,000 pounds of grain by hand. So, um, you know, that that went really, really well. But that's how it all started. Then, of course, we milled it in the water mill. It, you must be right now like a kid in a candy store in a way, because this is your passion, milling and working with that process, that's, that's what you love to do. It preserves the history, but I think you love doing it just the same. And then you get to take that to the next step and distill something that very few people of the day today have ever had a chance to work with. Yeah. It's very intriguing to me. It's very intriguing. And, and to have the partners like Laura and, and Bob and, you know, get an opportunity to do this and then know that the wolves were going to come down to help us and know that, you know, Lisa will be there. And then of course, Kim and Tom, it just was a perfect thing for me. I, I enjoy all these people very much. And then, uh, you know, also uh, we ran into a little flooding behind the mill last week of October. So we were behind on grinding. So I did get one day by myself in the mill milling all day, which is something I haven't done in a little while. It was therapeutic for me because I just ran Rose and Rye all day. And I thought to myself, yeah, this isn't a bad gig. At the end of the run, you said you're running till mid-December. Yeah. How do you think you're going to feel when this is, at least this segment of what you're doing is is completed? 
Well, I could joke around and say I'd be completely exhausted, but that I'm already, <laughs> completely, I'm already exhausted. Um, but I think there's a sense of satisfaction, like anybody who produces anything creatively or is in the distilling trade or the milling trade, ultimately seeing the stuff come off the still and knowing that the flavors are good and know that it's going to be in a bo- in a barrel and, and, and down the road be a quality spirit people are going to really enjoy. Plus to have the story of this run, the history of Pennsylvania and, and Virginia kind of coinciding here, the history of rye on the East Coast, which is a deep story that goes back into the 18th century, you know, uh, from, yes, New York, also Pennsylvania, Maryland, Northern Virginia, big rye areas. I love all this stuff dovetailing, and it's a dovetail of the story, the history, and the people. And so I know mid, mid-December mid when we put the mill to bed and we've barreled and we've took care of some bottling we have to do, we'll have a nice Christmas break and the mill can rest too and the stills can rest. And I think we'll feel a great sense of having completed something very unique again at Mount Vernon. Well, I know as far as what I can share with you that we're grateful to be a part of that specific day, to be a part of what you've been doing and keeping in mind for us, we'll feel that sense of exhale from you and your staff, knowing that what you turned in was just incredible for the whiskey consuming audience, right? And just everybody involved. And I can't thank you enough for letting us be a part of it. I can't thank you for all the education and how you've imparted the experience to us. It'll be, it was a once in a lifetime opportunity and uh, grateful that we get a chance to talk to you today. And um, I always say this, we look forward to all the great things coming from George Washington's Mount Vernon distillery, but uh, there's a lot of stuff coming from Mount Vernon's distillery right now, isn't there? There is, there is. And and of course, I think I mentioned to you maybe before that next year, we're going to release a double oak whiskey and also a cast strength. So we're moving into the future while retaining our our roots in the past. And couldn't ask for a better person to be at the helm to do all that. Well, you're very kind. I appreciate that. But as I always say, you know, it's uh, me and a team of very uh, eclectic and interesting people that love historic trades and, and do them well. Well, to you and your team. We wish you and we give you as much energy as we could possibly give and can't wait to keep uh, keep up the conversation. Yeah, thank you, Rich. Thanks so much for, for spending the time and coming down last weekend. Couldn't ask for a uh, thank you. <laughs> I always I said to people, you do all the hard work. We just we just watch and, and drink and talk. And that's what we do. <laughs> well, well, then you're documenting a, a story that needed to be documented. And so that was my hope with inviting you. And I think that's important to record what happened there. And we are. Thank you so much. Thank you. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, brewskits. Your dog will go wild. Brewskits, beer, grain, dog, bones, a healthy alternative for your pup. Brewskits are all natural and made in the USA. Visit brewskit.com. That's B-R-E-W-S-C-U-I-T.com.